0: Well, as you know, we'll be back in the book of Mark, chapter 8. If you'd like to turn there, if you'd like to follow along, i to just ask the Lord's blessing on His word before we get into it. Ah, gracious Heavenly Father, we do come before you, thankful for today, thankful for your word. And thankful for the opportunity to to have it, to read it, and to interact with it. For you are the living word. And we just pray our hearts and minds would be open to what you want us to know this morning. In your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Ah. <coughs> so we move on to chapter 8. As, we, as Last week we were finishing up chapter 7. And uh, again, the pace uh, of of the book of Mark continues to roll on and move forward. As we see one, you know, last event dealing with a particular man with an uh, infirmity of, of being mute, unable to hear and unable to speak, and how the Lord dealt with that, healed him of that. And we pick up the account of what's taking place in his ministry at this time in the first verse of chapter eight. It says, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and said to them, and before we begin or move forward into that, just that, that term there, in those days, those days, it's an interesting phrase, it's one of those you, you find uh, periodically, and rather often, often, actually throughout the, the, the word of God. It's kind of a, a time signature, as it will often used. We find that in the Old Testament, in the Book of Judges, and in other places, in the Book of Acts, in those days. That term, in those days, takes place. One of those things that stands out to me or makes for us is that those often who would have been reading this, because we have to keep in mind that this account, the Gospels, were written fairly soon after the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. There have been many people Around who would have been alive during those events and times, maybe even were there, and then reading the accounts after they began to be written down and copied and and dispersed. Kind of been that reminder. Remember, in those days, at that time, kind of that reminder, well, what days? Well, in essence, remember where he is. He's in the Decapolis region, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, on the eastern side of the River Jordan in those days. So how long he was there, we don't know. But a significant amount of time to to give that terminology in those days, how long he'd been there ministering to to the people that were there in those days. And it's interesting, it says there, you know, in those days, and multitude being very great a large group had come out to where Jesus was to hear him preach. Again, nothing really unusual about that when we, when we take into context the Lord's earthly ministry, how often that happens. And wherever the Lord is, the multitudes, crowds just naturally move towards where he was. Again, how, you know, how that word was spread, I'm sure, you know, again, Previously in the last couple uh, last chapter, the events of the, the healing of that man, I'm sure, went out, and just his fame of all the things he'd been doing and all the things that have taken place so far just spreads and proceeds and goes out. When people hear Jesus of Nazareth, you know, just you know, three miles down the road. Really. People go. But go on, significant numbers. There we go. So the multitude being very great. But again, if you see this, you know, large group, nothing unusual about that. But again, it says, lets us know that they had nothing to eat. Again, the last time we saw an event like this, it always strikes me as weird. I don't know who travels without thinking of food. There are obviously some who do. I am not one of them. But again, part of it, I think, speaks of the, just the desire to go and to be in his presence, to be near him. Just pick up and move, pick up and go in a moment's notice. We'll worry about the other details, they'll take care of themselves somehow. We'll worry about that later. But right now, we need to be where he is. quite well of these people at that time. This verse first this first verse sets the stage for what is about to happen. As it were, it sets the time frame where they're at. Kind of reminds us that they're still there in that region, they haven't left. It tells us uh, those who are there, multitude, a great multitude of people, the Lord is obviously there, and his disciples. And it lets us know there's a problem. There's no food. Like I say, I know about you, but boy, that's a problem for me. <laughs> My first thought, anytime there's a gathering of some kind, uh, or, or if there's a, an event or function, and someone's like, hey, you want to go do this? My first thought, there's going to be something to eat there. They they selling food? Is a food truck going to be parked out there somewhere nearby? I don't know. Just where I think. You think? Know, I don't know if I mentioned before one time, well, the first time I, I spent a significant time with my in-laws. Uh, I think it was after we were married. But they still chuckle about this to this day. We went to the, a renaissance fair up and outside of Minneapolis. My father-in-law, he said, every time we saw, because we kind of split up and came back, every time we saw, you had food in your hand. It's like, there he goes, he's got something else he's eating. I was like, it strikes me weird you don't. <laughs> but I was like, that's part of my thought. I was like, well, I'm here, you know, I want to try some things. I'm hungry, you know. I just, you think I'm going to travel two hours and then travel two hours back without eating? You're out of your mind. <laughs> you don't know me. Let me introduce you. My name is Justin Becker. I like to eat. <laughs> so it always stands out to me. When food is an issue, but how often, at different times, for different reasons, food is a significant part in ministry. And we see that played out time and again throughout Scripture. It's not just something new to our time, you know, food fellowship and fun kind of aspect. Food has always been significant because there is relationship in food. And the Lord does tremendous work in relationship. He does. And he understands the need for sustenance. He understands the physical infirmities of mankind. He knows they need to eat. He knows they need to be sustained. And he recognizes, interesting too, no one else seems to bring this point up at this point. No one says, you know, like, hey, Lord, did you know? I don't know if anyone's had anything to eat. He's the one who recognizes the problem. We see that in verse 2 and 3, and Jesus expresses compassion and concern for this group of people. He starts out right away saying, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry... To their own houses they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. They have continued with him. They have stayed with him. They have been with him for three days. So again, that kind of gives us a little more specific context of the time. At the very least, after the events that ended in chapter 7, he has been there three days. Ministering to them. Preaching, teaching three days, and have nothing to eat, does that mean they haven't eaten for three days? They've been fasting during this time? It could be. It doesn't get really specific about that. Or is it just that now, at the end of it, they don't have anything to eat? Either way, hunger (laughs) has set in. Hunger to the point that the Lord has compassion, He has concern for them. That if He sends them away, that they will faint, pass out before they get home. Because they have come from afar. Again, how far? I don't know. Half a mile? Three miles? Ten? I know this. It reminds me of something, I believe it was, I can't remember if it was Genesis Marat or or Improzo. One of the Filipino missionaries. I remember one time he said growing up when his father, they had a big family like many uh, do in those regions of the world. And under, you know, in the Philippines growing up Catholic. And he got exposed to the gospel of the grace of God. And it transformed his father. <laughs> so much so that he would, you know, that, that the nearest church wasn't in their village. They literally, I can't remember the ex- distance, but it was like five miles or more that they had to walk to get to the village that had a church where they would be preaching. They didn't have a vehicle to take them there. Early in the morning, dad would say, Everybody up. We're walking. that was significant of the desire that he had in his heart now to hear the word of God preached. So important was it to him, it didn't matter how far the distance was, and that the whole family was going to have to go. We're doing it. (laughs) We're going. (laughs) And they went all that way and then all that way back. They had a hunger, (laughs) especially his father had a hunger for the word. And I have no doubt that those who were there during these three days had that similar hunger. Remember, we've seen before when the Lord preached, what did some of the things that people said? No one preaches like him. No one. Preaches like he does. No one speaks like him. To have someone, to be able to hear the word of God. Again, someone didn't make the connection. Why? (laughs) No one preaches like him. Because there's no one like him. (laughs) Living God, the living word. Expounding upon the written word humbles any man who steps up into the pulpit (laughs) thinking about how the Lord preached and taught. But they had this desire to go and hear him preach to the point of of hunger, to the point of of denying themselves physical sustenance. And then in verse 4 and 5, you see, Jesus and his disciples discussing the situation then. It says, then his disciples answered him, how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. So, then, so they begin a, a brief discussion of the matter. It's interesting, you know, the Lord is, expresses his compassion, his concern, For the situation, for the need, and their response is kind of with confusion. They question, "Well, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) How can one satisfy these people with bread in the wilderness?" They just too practical. Where are we going to get it? We don't see any store. Kind of like if you remember the last time. Couple chapters ago. Again, they focused on the problem and not the solution. Too much on the horizontal and not on the vertical. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. They already forgotten the last time what had happened. Keep your finger here. Just look at a few things. Uh, Back in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. We won't won't go through the whole account. It's interesting. Another large uh, group of people had had followed them and been with them uh, to a late hour. And in in verse 36, the disciples tell them, uh, you know, send them away. That they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves some bread, for they have nothing to eat. But the Lord answered them and said, "Uh, you give them something to eat. (laughs) And they answered, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Again, focused on, this is beyond our capacity. We don't have the means. How are we supposed to answer this problem? Interesting, in verse 38, almost word for word, what the Lord says, this second account. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Back in chapter 8. How many loaves do you have? It's part of me that thinks, you know, when the Lord's about to respond, as they're talking to him, focused on the problem, just drawing his attention, this is beyond any... Ability to solve it. Again, uh, apparently completely forgetting what had happened not that long ago. And we're not told the exact time frame of how long that had been. You tend to think a feeding of over 5,000 you know, men, which we've talked about then, probably translates into close to 12,000, 15,000 people with women and children. But kind of tend to stick in your mind a bit. But here we are again. A crowd of people, hungry, no means by which to feed them. What are we going to do? Sometimes I get the feeling the Lord's sitting there going. All right, how many loaves do you have? And it was word for word, remember, what happened the last time? How many loaves did we have the last time? Anyways, in this account, it still doesn't quite dawn on them. But they go and find out, and they bring that back to him. But it's interesting. Here they are, and they tell him, too, how, many, how can we feed so many people in the wilderness? It makes me think of all the times that God provided for the needs of others in the wilderness. Moses and the Jews. In the wilderness. Manna from heaven. David and his companions out in the wilderness. How many times did the Lord provided for them in different means to other people even? Or Elijah. Hiding out in his cave. Provided with the birds of the air. How often... God meets the needs of those who seek him out in the wilderness. Again, uh, the, the verse kind of brought up last time, the, the need to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The question is, are you willing to go where he is? It's not that he doesn't make himself available, not that he puts himself so removed I find that out in the wilderness, that part seems, well, that seems inconvenient. But is it? Is it? Often, uh, what I see here is is making himself available for all. We don't see a God who's put himself, you know, he's preaching at, you know, the, the, the Capernaum, you know, theological seminary, you know, get your tickets now. Room for you know 1,200. Oh, you missed it. I'm sorry, sold out. By here, he's preaching in Caesarea in a couple months. Maybe you can get it available for that one. We never see that of our Lord. He always puts himself in a position for all to come, and all to be made available of what he has to offer. But all he asks is, "Here I am. Are you willing to come? Are you willing to come out here and meet me?" And I think that is transdispensational. There, God always makes Himself available to those who want Him. It may seem inconvenient at the time, as it did for for that missionary family in the Philippines. I should say, actually, the family that actually produced a missionary family. But still available. Very much so. It's often even the question for us today. Sometimes, well, where is God today? Why is he supplying a need today? Where do I go to meet him? Go to his word. You go to a fellowship. You go where He is, and He will meet you there. So, as we pick up in verse, in verse six, as we see the problem and the potential uh, results of it that they discussed, Jesus steps in to provide the solution. And then he prepares and provides the meal. In verse 6, he says, So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to them, Set them before them also. So they ate and were filled, and took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Again, while the disciples seem unable or unwilling to do what is necessary, the church ultimately has put it in the Lord's hand. The Lord steps in and takes control of the situation. First, he gets everybody organized. That seems odd, but think about it. When you've got a large group of people and you want them to eat <laughs> and get ready to eat, you gotta kinda herd them in. I guess they getting people organized. Call their attention. Think about that. Have you ever been, at, you know, whenever you are at a large gathering, whether it's a conference or even sometimes at their fellowship meal? Okay, everybody, in a moment, we're gonna go down, we're gonna eat. First we'll pray, we'll give thanks, and then we'll go. Kind of attention, get people focused. He also gets them seated. He gives direction. He gets them seated on the ground. He puts them in a position to be served, as it were. And in verse, it verse uh, still in verse six, he says, "He took the seven loaves, gave thanks and broke them, and then gave them to his disciples and set before them. Uh, thought here of mine, of course, but look at this, see, like the first course. This is him now takes the seven loaves, seven loaves of bread, and gives thanks, blesses them, breaks them. There's a pattern here as well. It's the same thing he did the last time. He gives thanks. He gives thanks. What may seem at first this meager offering, Give thanks for it. He blesses it. And then he breaks it. And then he gives it to the disciples. Again, I think in these actions there's even way more than we have a time for here. Because we could look at the aspects of the communal supper, the Last Supper, the Jewish feast at Passover, how that took place, the breaking of the bread and then the passing of it out. And again, interesting that he gives it to the disciples that they then disperse. It should be setting them up for the ministry he will then release them into, taking the good news of the gospel, the kingdom of God to the rest of the nation. Setting them up for service. And again, there is a beautiful illustration as well here, for Jesus Christ is the bread of life, who is blessed forever, Amen. But also blessed by his father at the moment of his baptism for his ministry, he was ultimately broken and then given. That all may partake of it. That's spiritual food. And as we see him here, on several levels, meeting their needs. But also after that, the, the, the bread is distributed. They says that there were several fish. And here it does not give a specific amount. Right? It says a few fish in verse 7. And having blessed them, he set them also before them. Just in a few small fish. Again, the second course. Bread, a protein. Meeting their needs, meeting their... to satisfy that hunger for their return trip home. And it's interesting that what we see here, the amount... That the Lord provides. The Lord's a good cook, <laughs> if I may say so. But in verse 7, it says, He set the muscle before them. Verse 8: So they ate and were filled, and took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Ate and filled. Again, that is a very quick way to, to, to summarize the meal, to summarize what took place there. They were filled. That everyone was sufficiently satisfied here. Couldn't eat another bite. As it were. God doesn't skimp. And he makes meal you know, when He seeks to satisfy a need. He doesn't just leave just enough. Makes me think. Uh, just uh, last weekend we had our, our daughter Charlotte's uh, birthday party. And it was a wonderful time, Friends, friend, family, you know, preparing as we were going to have some sloppy joes for the main <laughs> course. Of course, I got my mother's recipe because I told my wife, Amanda, I said, I know it's a big job. I will take care of this. This is my realm. There's a lot of other things I know you've got going on, so don't worry. I've got this. <laughs> One less thing for you to do. So I got the recipe, and I'm thinking, you know, and you're thinking how, you know, how many people are going to be there, okay, how many we need, how, how, how much we expand that, that, the recipe. And, and, you know, I get it, we ended up with like, like nine pounds of meat. And as you're making it, you're thinking, wow, that's a lot. You know, it starts filling up, you know, you know, one big crock pot, almost another. And I'm sitting there, and I've got uh, two more pounds to make. And I'm like, really? Do we really need it? I said, I don't know if you really need it. We should be enough. Can I kind of, you know, talk to my stomach a little bit? <laughs> it's like, nah, go for it. Make the other. You won't regret it. My mind is it's always better to have more than you know, more than enough, you know. Because if one, if it's good stuff, it's going to be good the second time around. I'm a good fan of good leftovers. We made and, and there was. But actually, at the end, you know, we, we by the time everyone was gone, and because we, we had the, some the in-laws stay with us the night. By the time we were all done Sunday, you know, we came home from church for leftovers. You know, if there was just enough then for us to get that, another meal out of that. I was so thankful to to make all that. There was more than enough to satisfy all our guests that day, and then leftovers for us Sunday afternoon. Again, part of that is just my mind that I always wanted to have a little extra. I think in in, in context that there is a biblical context here, a uh, perspective of, of of a cultural perspective as well of not running out of food, that it, it is a gathering the embarrassment, the shame, providing a meal for all your guests and then not having enough. I really do. I think I know. In some of my travels, that is one thing. In the Philippines, when we were there, boy, they fed us. Man, did they feed us! I think they're smiling, nodding. They do. Like it really was. Like almost every every gathering, every meal was a feast. It wasn't merely just a meal; it was a feast. And they took joy in that. They celebrated that. And part of it, I am trying to, if I am remembering correctly, if you've cleaned your plate. To them, that was a sign you needed more. Like, if you really were full and, and did not want any more, you really act, you had to leave food on your plate so that when you told them, no, I cannot eat another bite, they could look and go, well, obviously, he didn't finish that. I really do. When you look at, the, the, again, that, that context uh, around the world and cultural norms, and we, we could even look back uh, in, in, in the Gospel of John, the wedding at Cana, why that was such a big deal to run out of wine. That would have been shameful. Not merely just embarrassing. I think it would have been absolutely shameful, ruinous in some, con, in some ways to that family, to that, that kind of party, that kind of gallery, that kind of celebration and have to go... Sorry, we're out. We don't have enough. Again, there's a message there in, in, in that event in and of itself. But I think that provides part of the, the, the clue. or not the clue, but the that perspective of the Lord providing more than enough. It was not there there are spiritual elements and realities here. But it it's also the, that the Lord God Himself. Would never provide just enough in the context of of that culture. He would provide more than enough. Because we know our God who supplies our need exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can ask or think. Again, that goes from beginning to end. (laughs) And we'll go in on through eternity. That is our God who provides. He's a good host. He is. When he provides, when he is in charge of a situation, he's going to make sure all needs are taken care of. But This also, I think, was reminded of another part of Scripture back in Matthew chapter 6. If you'd like to keep your finger here, but turn there. The Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. The Lord is saying, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, the heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think also here the Lord was literally living out what he preached there. He didn't just talk the talk. The Lord always walked the walk, as we say. When he said, it's okay, don't worry about what your needs. God in heaven knows, and he will meet it. And I love there, too, that it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Again, reminding, if you're willing to come this far and continue with me, Be here with me. I will meet your needs. I'm not going to send you away starving. (laughs) Defend for yourselves. I will meet your need. Even in the wilderness. He's meeting their need there. Back in chapter 8 of Mark. Mark. After all this takes place, and again, we're not told how long this meal, the celebration, and I think it probably was a celebration. Again, I think of it, you know, we sometimes use that term of, of these moments, these preaching times of the Lord, uh, in, in what we would encounter in, in a conference of some kind. I mean, imagine three days of preaching. That sounds like a conference to me, about as close as to what we would experience. And the fellowship that takes place, the food that takes place, the, the, the laughter, the joy, the talking, the interaction. I don't think for one minute it was a quiet, somber, you know, everyone you know, kind of mm, nibbling away on their, their bread and their fish, just minding their own business, especially if you understand, again, the, the, the context of Jewish interaction and celebration of things. I have no doubt that it was a very enjoyable, festive atmosphere. Again, imagine you've been there for three days. You get, you're hungry. Everybody's hungry. And suddenly food, food in abundance. You're going to celebrate. You're going to have fun with that. You're going to enjoy yourself. And again, sharing and talking and interacting. Relationship. And while it doesn't say, I can only imagine the Lord moving amongst the people, I do not see our God sitting alone all by himself on some raised dais, as it were, <laughs> untouchable, unapproachable. We know that's not true. Moving, talking, mingling. And again, not as some, you know, as uh, I just used this term the other day, uh, the, the social butterfly, as it were. You no, know, someone who knew each and every one of those individuals personally. <laughs> So we come to verse 9 and 10, kind of wraps up the, the, the whole affair. We're given a, a few bits of final information. Saying that those who had eaten were about 4,000. And 4,000 here, you know. Again, in this, the, the past, it made it very specific, 5,000 men. It says 4,000 persons. Now, I'm not sure if there's a different counting method at this time. Were they counting men and women here? It doesn't seem like it would be. The the norm would have been to count the men, but but still, 4,000. Even if that was it, 4,000 is a lot of people. I've never had to feed 4,000 people. (laughs) That's a significant amount, 4,000. But again, if it is only the men, we're talking about 12,000 potentially (laughs) or more. People. Massive gathering of people. But, anyways, again, and then then, forgot to mention again those seven basketfuls of fragments at the end of verse 8. There's still seven baskets full of leftovers. It's my kind of cook. You're going to make sure you're going, everyone's got it. You Can take home a little snack for the way home if they need to. Or that the next day you're going to have a little something yet. Again, the Lord never leaves you wanting. He leaves you with more than you need. I mean, in verse 9, it says, then he dismissed then he sent them away. Here, in others, it says dismiss them, but he sent them away. In mean, many ways, he dismissed them. And Again, I don't think we don't see the Lord just kind of like giving them a flippant response. Okay, well, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I'm out. No, I see again the Lord, the good of going around and saying goodbye, goodbye. Glad you came. Thanks for coming. You praying? You know, that just perhaps even embraces. And sharing I, Again, I don't see, it's probably like, a, like we joke about the Wisconsin or Midwest goodbye, where it takes almost 45 minutes to actually get out the door. <laughs> I'm seeing something probably very similar. You know, it wasn't like, all right, you've eaten, go. And everyone vanished. And there, was a, there was a time frame here. And For some, that may be you know taking liberties, (laughs) and doesn't tell. But I don't think so, It's part of that again, under what we understand and know about our Lord and our God, he dismisses them, says goodbye, and in verse ten, immediately got into the boat with his disciples and came to the region of (laughs) Dalmanutha. But again, that pace of the book, that's part of it here, moving, always moving always at, 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 at work to the next adventure. <laughs> I really think it is. You can only imagine these disciples, you know, one thing after another that they moving forward. We just did this, and now they're in the boat again, headed back across the Sea of Galilee to the western shore to who knows what could happen. A massive healing, a great revival, Who knows what they may encounter, what they may uh, uh, see next. We don't want to get ahead of the the story because part of what we saw here is going to come front and center to these fellows real soon. (laughs) As we go through this, again, that aspect of, of the Lord meeting people out in the wilderness, that part of, will you come near me? Now, the Lord could have distributed meals at everyone's doorstep, as it were. Some sort of miraculous Uber Eats at the time. then didn't do that. I said, if you come and you fellowship with me, you come here, come in close, well, then, yes, I will meet your need abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think. And I do think the same applies today. I know some people who do question, where is God? They're seeking for the miraculous, even though they know, I wouldn't say better, because God still works miraculous today. (laughs) He does. But they see events like this, and that's what they're looking for today. And they wonder, where is God? Where is he in my life? And it's not easy, but I ask, try to be gentle and gracious. Where are you with the Lord? And a passage like this, have you moved towards him? If you draw close to him, he will draw near to you. He will supply your needs. But as always, his desperate desire of his heart is for us to come near him, to depend on him, to rely on him. And just as he did there, he will do today. So I know there are some people, while they may not be, be going through a physical hunger, they are definitely going through a spiritual hunger and being found in a spiritual wilderness, as it were. And the Lord's there to meet them. If they'll just wover over and spend time with them, get in his word, Fellowship with his people. He will be there. And he is here now. I don't know if there's anyone here who's got a need, a hunger, to the point of almost starvation. But the Lord is here. And he will meet you. And he will meet your need. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father you truly are gracious giving us abundantly what we don't deserve and we do pray for each and every one of us here for we all have needs we all have concerns we all have and we all have a need and we just pray that that we would all have a heart to turn to you and have that need satisfied Exceedingly abundantly by you. For your glory and your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.